Events with Leland Vittert. Have a great night. Tonight, this means war. They're going to try to force Nikki on the ticket. Nikki Haley's rise causes a civil war in MAGA world. We're going to have to have that fight. Can she dethrone Trump or will she settle for a seat by his side? Naming names, a who's who's list of Jeffrey Epstein's friends revealed. How will the rich and powerful explain hanging around a confessed pedophile? Step aside, New York. We are celebrating the new year with performances by the biggest names in country music. Nashville takes a bite out of the Big Apple. How the capital of country music became the center of American culture. And why CBS snubbed country's biggest star. Doom campaign. There's something dangerous happening in America Joe Biden is a threat to democracy. What happened to presidential hopefuls promising a better tomorrow? It's morning again in America. We start with breaking news, 7 o'clock Eastern, a live look at Boston, where just down the road at Harvard Yard, the university's first black president, made history again today by becoming Harvard's shortest tenured president. And she played the victim and the race card on the way out. Despite massive evidence of academic dishonesty and genuine hatred towards Jews, the board blamed racist forces for pushing Claudine Gay out. She said as much in her statement as well. We'll get to that in a minute. And what it means for the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement in America. Professor Carol Swain who Claudine Gay plagiarized, joins us a little later on that, and on Gay staying on as a professor at Harvard, despite never apologizing or admitting all of her dishonesty. But first tonight, we start with politics, something that we all talked about over the Christmas and New Year's break. MAGA civil war is on the doorstep. It's an election year, 2024, 307 days till November 5th. And long before November 5th, the Republicans will fight a civil war over Nikki Haley. It's already started. Here's longtime Trump supporter and strategist Steve Bannon. They're going to try to force Nikki on the ticket. They say Trump needs a woman, Nikki on the ticket. She balances things, and she can bring together that 15% of never-Trumpers in the Republican Party. We're going to have to have that fight. Haley's rise over the Christmas holiday scares Trump world. New poll out in New Hampshire puts her at 32% just 13 points behind Mr. Trump, and climbing. She clearly has the momentum. Our Decision Desk HQ polling average is at 27% in New Hampshire. That's up from 8% back in September. Of course she's behind Trump, but she has momentum, the big mo, as some have called it. In the state of Iowa, she's at 17%, up from 3% at the start of the Iowa State Fair in August. She's neck and neck with Ron DeSantis, who increasingly looks like 2024's failure to launch, or as we called him a while back, 2024's Scott Walker. Most importantly, though, Nikki Haley is popular with suburbanites, independents, and women. And she won't close a door on the VP spot. Are you going to rule it out? 
I don't play for a second. <laughs> I knew you were It's say offensive that. when anybody says that, oh, you know, she wants to be vice president. But you're not going to rule it out because you're not going to rule it out. I'm, it's not even a conversation. Hmm. Haley is a double threat. Even if Haley loses the nomination, she's a threat to both CNN and the Steve Bannon types. Pay attention when Steve Bannon and CNN are on the same graphic. She threatens Bannon because she represents normal Republicans that Bannon hates. She threatens CNN because she makes a Trump presidency far more likely. As I said, look at the graphic. When CNN and Steve Bannon agree on something, we should all pay attention. Currently, Trump beats Biden by a point or two in most national polls. Nikki Haley beats Biden by historic proportions. That scares Democrats and their friends at CNN. CNN, of course, warns Trump as a threat to America. But CNN can't quite find its way to loving Nikki Haley. Here's their coverage about a made-up controversy over the break in which Haley didn't say slavery specifically was the cause of the Civil War. On the campaign trail, Nikki Haley is doing damage control. These remarks fit into a pre-existing concern about her among her critics. She takes three steps forward and she'll take five back. Eh, The polling shows she's still moving forward. Let's be fair. CNN hates that a Republican minority woman could be the first female president. It would blow up their whole narrative. It's the same reason nobody covered the first female black lieutenant governor of Virginia. But Haley is an alternative to Trump. So at least for a little while, CNN might hold a few of their punches. Steve Bannon will not. Haley as VP threatens the MAGA base. She also virtually assures a Trump victory. 307 days to election today, and the Republican Civil War is coming. Mike Huckabee here, former Arkansas governor, Ran for president in 2008. Knows a thing or two about coming from behind and surprise victories in a state like Iowa. It's good to see you, sir. Thank you. Um, why, just just from an analysis standpoint, why is Nikki Haley so threatening to the Trump, sort of the ultra-Trump wing of the Republican Party? I think there's a concern that she's taken the endorsement and the support of the Koch brothers. They're not really mainstream Republicans. They're libertarian. Uh, they don't embrace a lot of the social issues that Republicans are very strong on that matter a lot to uh, Republicans, not just the so-called MAGA Republicans, but to all Republicans. And I think also uh, they represent the globalist wing of the party, quite frankly, a part of the party that just no longer has a whole lot of uh, stick when it comes to uh, where the party is headed. A lot of folks have been frustrated with the globalists, those who would move manufacturing jobs out of America. And that's the real concern. I I don't think it's a personal issue, but I think it's a policy issue. And will she, in fact, embrace uh, a more aggressive uh, war policy? That is also a concern for many Republicans. Look, you've heard her talk about full-throated support for Ukraine through uh, full-throated support for Israel. Israel's probably a little less controversial than than Ukraine is. But I I get then, based on your analysis, why a certain wing of the Republican Party would say she's not for us. And, and that's what primaries are. They're a, a, essentially a civil war inside of a party. But to so many of Trump's followers, he's a messianic figure, right? He can do no wrong. Well, no matter what Trump says, he's got it right. He hires the best people on and on and on. And I'm wondering, 
if all of that's true, who are they to say that Nikki Haley is the VP wouldn't be the right person? There's a lot of people who could have said the same thing about Mike Pence in 2016 in a different way. Well, people will say these things, but quite frankly, whenever Donald Trump makes his announcement as to who his VP is, if it's Nikki Haley, everybody will think it's the best idea he ever had. So it's not really going to matter what people are doing now. It's sort of like there are, are intense rivalries going on within the uh, what I'd call the not Trump lane. Uh, you know, there are three or four candidates still vying for trying to be number two. But whoever the nominee is, the Republicans are going to coalesce around that person. And the reason is, is because when their choice is Joe Biden or anybody else, the choice gets real clear. They'll vote for that person every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And they probably will vote twice on Sunday. Why the heck not? It's the new way we do it, <laughs> right? So go ahead. Back in, back in, yeah, back, back to the Chicago day. Look, you, you know something about coming from behind, right? Uh, you're, you know, yeah. you shock, shocked everybody uh, in Iowa when you, when you won. I'm wondering if you're seeing, I, it, you know, history does not repeat itself at rhymes. Are you seeing any similarities to Nikki Haley up almost 10 or 12 points um, since before Christmas in New Hampshire? Uh, any, any similarities to that sort of unbelievable energy that happened to you in Iowa that's suddenly happening with Nikki Haley? I think it's happening with her in New Hampshire more so than Iowa. I'm not seeing that level of traction in Iowa. It's just there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm not saying she doesn't have support and that her support is growing, but I don't think she's in a position to win Iowa. She might be in a position to rival Ron DeSantis for the second slot, uh, but she's got some real momentum going on in New Hampshire, and that's where she could make her play. In 2008, is Trump I won Iowa. Worried, John think? McCain won New Hampshire, and then it goes down to South Carolina, and somebody... Uh, winning that pretty much goes on. Is Trump world worried yet? No, I don't think so. I mean, if you take all the numbers of the other candidates, add them together, they're still not where Trump is. And and that's where all of the other candidates are, are having to struggle. They're not yeah. really at a point where they're challenging Donald Trump's overwhelming lead. And it's not because people think he's perfect. Nobody thinks that. Heck, uh, you know, most of us would cringe at some of the things that he might tweet or say. But we do look at the policies that he had as president. And we also think that we're not sure there's anybody else who could stomach what he's been through. The constant uh, just harangue that he's been under from not just the political arm, but from the police state of the Biden administration. It's unprecedented. And it's quite frankly a little bit frightening when a sitting president uses the power of the police state that he controls to try to take down his opponent uh, not by ballots, but by taking them down through some legal maneuvers. Huh? We, we've seen Trump's support only get stronger each one of the indictments. So um, yeah. whether people agree, whether whether people like your analysis or not, it um, is based in fact, sir. Governor, it's good to see you. I know we'll talk a lot uh, this coming year. It's uh, always a pleasure. Thanks, Leland. Great to be with you. Yes, sir. New York, and this seems kind of obvious to say, but New York no longer represents the center of America. Just ask CBS, who broadcast their New Year's Eve show from Nashville, Tennessee. We are celebrating the new year with performances by the biggest names in country music. Morgan Wallen, Hardy, Leonard Skinner, Cody Johnson, Kane Brown. 
Brown, Brothers Osborne, Old Dominion, and guess what? More Laney Wilson. All right, it makes sense, right? People leave New York daily. 100 people a day move to Nashville. Lots of folks would rather come visit the bars and honky-tonks of Music Row than Times Square. Earlier this year, country song hit number one, two, and three on the Billboard Top 100 songs. Top 100 of all music, not just country songs. Yet, the singer of the number one song, Jason Aldean, didn't show up on CBS, oddly or maybe not so oddly. Aldean didn't sing his hit song, Try That in a Small Town, which is noteworthy, considering it was not only the number one Billboard country song, but the number one song across all music. Earlier this summer, Colby Hall, News Nation contributor, founding editor of Mediaite, joins us now. Hey, we got ratings yet for any of this for, for ABC versus CBS? Uh, we have, and uh, it's interesting. CBS barely outperformed ABC in the early hours. They benefited from a ton of promotion uh, for the NFL overrun from the chiefs Bengals game. But as the evening grew later, uh, ABC won the sort of the, the witching hour, the last hour when the ball, bell dropped. And that makes sense given the demographics, the age makeup. I think the Nashville CBS show skewed older and people that wanted to get their New Year's Eve viewing on got it earlier. And then the Dick Clark New Year's Eve hosted by Ryan Seacrest sort of rang in the New Year with younger viewers. But to your point, the CBS show, they, they were smart. They, the CBS, the country music is a growing, it's, it's the hottest uh, genre of music uh, out right now. Yeah, what, what would Dick Clark think, right? I mean, you know, he, what, what was this sort of really wholesome family uh, entertainment that has existed for so long on New Year's Eve that he brought in. And now it's rappers and, well, shall we say, not not exactly wholesome family entertainment as we reach midnight. Well, that trend started when he was still doing it, and you could tell that he was a little bit befuddled towards the end of his career. I think he'd be, he'd be confused. He'd be confused by a lot of things. The Internet, smartphones, uh, uh, and frankly, the sort of very segregated musical landscape. You know, I grew up at a time where you would listen to R&B next to pop songs, next to folk and country, all in the same radio station. And now it's all really sort of divvied up. And that's why when I worked at iHeartRadio uh, in the, in the uh, teens last decade, country music was the, was the cash cow uh, because that's where people tune in to radios. Uh, pop music and other formats typically have been left to streamers. So it's, uh, I, I wouldn't say Nashville's overtaken New York or even L.A., but it's certainly right there, shoulder to shoulder. So I think it says how divided we are in the way that even we come to consume music. Yeah, we're, we're divided. I mean, I, I just want to get your take. Uh, I've got only about uh, 20 seconds after this clip, but I'm going to play um, Anderson Cooper with John Mayer and then get your thoughts. This is a place you can come, enjoy a drink or two, and uh, talk to cats. <laughs> It's a cat bar. I mean, I don't know how much more clear I can be about the objective of this place. You, John, you are I, in I, Tokyo, I can't see Japan. Anderson, but I know exactly what he looks like. Yes. Yes, yes you I'm do. Yes, you do. He's gone. What would Dick Clark think of that? Uh, Anderson Cooper giggling is uh, something that draws ratings. And this was the first time they, mm. they took a break from drinking on air. They brought back the alcohol, ergo giggling Anderson. So whole new, whole, whole new world. 
Yeah, I think it's a good point. Um, whole new year as well. Colby, we'll see you soon. Coming up next, you, good news. Republicans and Democrats actually agree on something. The bad news is they agree that a vote for the other guy will mean the amend of America as we know it. George Will on the strange gloom and doom strategy from both parties for the White House as we await President Biden's return from vacation. And the Houthis of Yemen, the Iranian forces there, continue to attack American ships in the Red Sea. Why the Navy isn't fighting back? How long till they hit an American ship when we come back? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s message can be heard everywhere. His words changed the nation. And though you might not know where the words came from, you can feel the truth behind them. We're now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today. We're confronted with the fierce urgency of now. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. called us all to service. Opportunities to serve those in need are all around you. And every time you volunteer to read to a child, serve a hearty meal, or clean up a park in your comunidad, his message becomes a reality. This January is your chance to let MLK's word inspire you to action. Learn how you can volunteer for a better tomorrow on MLK Day at AmeriCorps.gov forward slash MLK Day. Are you prepared for an emergency or disaster? Because it's not a matter of if, but when. Don't find yourself saying, I'll trust water bottles and a flashlight to save the day, but I'll be proved wrong. With a tornado approaching, I'll realize that I like a wheelchair-accessible shelter. When the floodwaters rise, I'll be up in the attic with 20 cans of beans. It's a recipe for disaster. Let's prepare so we all have a better story to tell. Get started at ready.gov slash older adults. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I see you finally got a new helmet. I did. Bought it cheap online. <laughs> Follow me. We'll turn off here. I'm right behind you. Watch the cars. They can be crazy. Teddy! No! Are you okay? Somebody do something! Was this young man hit by a car? Yes, and his helmet is smashed. It's a brand new helmet. It's probably a fake. Fakes cause real harm. You're smart. Buy smart. Brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Thanks for listening to News Nation On The Go. I'm Connell McShane. To get America's fastest-growing news channel on your screen, go to joinnn.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Kathleen Eubanks-Ming with the American Academy of Family Physicians. Bullies use power, strength, or popularity to hurt others emotionally or physically. And while you can't be with your child all the time, there are ways you can help. If your child encounters a bully, tell them to get to a safe place and tell an adult. You can also show them how to block online bullies. Teach them they can be more than a bystander and that they can help their peers. For more on bullying, visit FamilyDoctor.org or talk with your family physician. This is an important message from the Mine Safety and Health Administration. Mining fatalities, accidents, and injuries are preventable. Taking a minute to approach your task safely can protect you and your fellow miners from injury and death. Staying alert and focused can keep you safe. Do it safe. Do it right. Whether buckling a seatbelt or securing equipment, these quick safety measures can prevent injuries and fatalities. Take time. Save lives. For more resources, visit MSHA.gov. 
farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We go through safety training and try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. Hi, everyone. Dan Abrams here. Dan Abrams Live on News Nation. I try to call him as I see him. Going beyond the narrative. You can decide for yourself whether you agree with me. No agenda, just the facts. It's about a need to hold the partisan media accountable. Dan Abrams Live, tonight at 9, 8 central, only on America's fastest growing cable news network, News Nation. To find News Nation on your screen, go to joinnn.com or stream News Nation on Apple CarPlay and Alexa. Dangerous happening in America now. There's an extremist movement that does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. The MAGA movement. Joe Biden is a threat to democracy. As long as Joe Biden is in the White House, the American dream is dead. On that happy note, please choose one of these optimistic men to be your next president. And this segment isn't partisan. The likely nominee for each party can't come up with anything better than vote for me or the other guy will destroy the country. Let me repeat it. It's not partisan. Just think about the difference between doom 2024 and Reagan's morning in America or Clinton's campaign anthem. It's morning again in America. And under the leadership of President Reagan, our country is prouder and stronger. Brings you all the way back to the Clinton campaign. 16 years after his victory, Clinton still walked out to Fleetwood Mac. George Will remembers those idyllic days, News Nation senior contributor and Pulitzer Prize winning columnist. Good to see you, sir. Appreciate it. So what is this? Is this politics downstream of culture and the country is just this pessimistic? It is pessimistic, and it's pessimistic for an interesting reason. Inflation is the big grievance that people have, and it's because they have a funny view about inflation, Leland. Under inflation, if a box of Cheerios increases by X amount, people don't think inflation's over until a box of Cheerios loses the X, and it goes back to what it was before inflation, which never happens. So there's, an, there's a sense in which Mr. Biden can't win on inflation because it's not going to disappear the, the effects of it. So his press secretary spoke about that a couple of days ago. I think actually it was this morning. Karine uh, Jean-Pierre on the economy under President Biden. Here you go. Two words, two words that, we're, that I'm going to give you that we're going to continue to do as it relates to the economy is continue to lower, uh, lower costs. Reasonable people can agree that the costs are not going to come down, as you certainly exactly. pointed out. Gas prices fluctuate and other things, but overall goods yeah. just continue to go up. It's, it's the way the world works. That said, it gives such an opportunity to Republicans, and they're not taking it and continuing the grievance and the doom. Why is that? First of all, it's an old saying in journalism, we don't report the planes that land safely. Good news is an oxymoron, doesn't count. Second, Americans have an extremely low pain threshold these days. 
Gasoline today, people say, that's shockingly high. When my father in 1950 drove his Plymouth into the Sinclair station in Champaign, Illinois, and paid 29 cents a gallon for gasoline, he was paying less in inflation-adjusted terms, but not a lot less than we're paying today. Hmm. I'm thinking Joe Biden would remember the, the, the <laughs> price of gas back then as, as we're looking at him. But, okay, go, as with Donald Trump. I mean, look, these guys are both old. Uh, campaign slogans of the past. Reagan, 1984. Morning again in America. Clinton, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. That's just the walkout. It's the economy, stupid. Bush in, 20, in 2000, compassionate conservatism. Obama, hope, change, we can believe in. These were, these were all optimistic messages about the country. And neither party is offering that. And I'm wondering if we're going to see that change or if that's just because of that, what, 80% of Americans don't think their kids are going to have a better life than they did. That's what sells. The first time a poll indicates or a focus group indicates that optimism sells, they will change on a dime. Until then, they won't. But so we the, the country has changed? The country unquestionably is, is much less forward-looking, much less cheerful than it used to be. But remember this. In 1946, after the war, rationing and all the rest, the legacy of the Depression, the Republicans rode into power with the slogan, Had Enough. And that slogan was reborn in 1966 when Ronald Reagan ran for governor of California. Had Enough. And you could fill in the blanks. Had enough of what? Doesn't matter. Any grievance could be swept under that, that slogan. All right. Good to see you, sir. We never have enough of your analysis. Thank you. We'll put that on a poster sometime. Switching now overseas, the video you're watching is of a Japanese airliner coming in. You can see the fireball. It hit another plane in Tokyo overnight. You can see it speeding down the runway in flames. It is wild the flaming airliner speeding down to a halt, and then the fire trucks rolling in. This is an amazing escape, a miracle escape. Miraculously, everyone, Christian, on board the airliner has survived. Remarkably, as you mentioned, the airline says they managed to safely evacuate all 380 passengers. You couldn't watch without every commentator, miracle, unbelievable, miraculous, on and on. Truth is, it wasn't really a miracle, nor is it unbelievable. It's actually pretty common in plane crashes for everybody to survive. 2013, an Asiana Airlines plane crashed in San Francisco with 300 people on board. All but three, 200 plus, 290 plus, survived. The pilots literally flew the plane into a seawall. And almost everybody walked away. 2008, a British Airways plane crashed at Heathrow International with 152 people. Everyone survived that as well. 800 passengers or so on board, three flights, and there were three deaths. All three planes crashed. All three were destroyed by intense flames. Turns out safety engineering actually works. So does dropping everything and getting out of the burning plane. Maybe the real miracle was that people followed the instructions and left their carry-ons behind. A few years ago, 41 died when a Russian airliner caught fire. Everyone could have made it out. About half did. The other half died after being caught by people trying to get their bags. Since attacking, hijacking a cargo ship a few weeks ago, Iran's militias are continuing to launch more attacks. And the Iranian strategy is working. They've effectively shut down the shipping lanes from the Suez Canal to the Persian Gulf. 
They carry 10% of the world's commerce. This week, U.S. helicopters shot and killed Houthis trying to take over another commercial ship. This was a gun battle between Iranian-backed forces and the United States. But unless the United States Navy is engaged in active self-defense, President Biden's orders makes our multi-million dollar, sometimes multi-billion dollar warships essentially target practice for the Houthis. Over the holidays, U.S. Central Command reported more than a dozen attacks on U.S. Navy ships and commercial vessels by Houthis in Yemen. The Houthis even put out a propaganda video. And while the Navy ships will fire million-dollar missiles against cheap Iranian drones, they are forbidden from taking out the Houthis' launch sites or storage depots or command and control. Commander Kirk Lippold, used to command Navy ships in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden, joins us now. Good to see you, sir. Thank you, you as well. very much. Thank you, Lila. Um, I said that the Navy ships are Houthis' target practice. Is that a fair assessment? I think right now it is. We're in a defensive posture. We're doing nothing but having to take the shots and react to them. We're not doing anything proactively to go after and solve the problem, not the symptom, which means, first, let's target the sites where the Houthis are actually firing the missiles at us, where they're launching the drones, the command and control, and the ammunition uh, storage facilities for each of those. Why is beyond me. It seems, if I can dissect the administration's idea and give them at least... Their, their best argument is they don't want to provoke the Iranians. They think if they hit the Houthis, the Iranians are going to get mad and do more. Uh, the Iranians have already sent one of their warships now into the Red Sea. I think it's called the Straits of Grief that you have to go through there. It's a pretty narrow, narrow area. Um, how likely is it, as you, as you watch this, that eventually the Houthis are going to get lucky, right? That one of these drones is going to get through U.S. defenses and suddenly you're going to have a bunch of dead sailors. Well, a couple things play into this. First, when you look at it, the Secretary of Defense used to be the Central Command commander. Of all people, he should know what needs to be done in order to keep our forces safe. The Biden administration is reported to have a operational plan on the shelf right now that they could use to take out these sites. They're hesitant because of this specious argument that we don't want to expand the conflict. That doesn't exist. The conflict is expanding, and it's Iran who is actually choosing to expand that conflict, and the United States is waiting. If we continue to wait, it's not a matter of if, but when we're going to take a hit, and we as Americans do not need another photo op for this administration at Dover Air Force Base welcoming back flag-draped coffins. We need to go after these sites and stop them cold and make sure that Iran loses the capability of doing that in the future. And fair to say, he's taking out these sites is... Uh, kind of a walk in the park, right, in, in terms of fire a few cruise missiles, a few B-1 bombers. And th- this is not, this isn't really a, a heavy lift. It, it's, it's not difficult, but as in any military operation, it has to be planned. It has to be executed flawlessly. The last thing that we would want was even one of our aircraft to be shot down and one pilot to be taken captive, because that would complicate everything. By the same token, there are things we could do in addition to going kinetic, say, against the Houthi rebels. We need to start going after Iran itself. Let's start putting in the sanctions, the pre-JCPOA or Iran nuclear agreement. Let's get those snapback sanctions into place and begin to squeeze them economically because it's going to be the economics of the situation that is actually going to bring Iran to its knees to make them stop being the malign actor throughout the Middle East. Kelly Kosum Suleimani also did that for a little while. It was certainly as helpful. Well. Good, good to see you, Commander. <laughs> you Thank as well. you very much. 
Uh, we talked about it a lot this morning in War Notes. It gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m. Talked about the Houthis and also the civil war inside the Republican Party. Go to warnotes.com and subscribe. The note start is our internal email discussion about the most important events of the day. It's literally how we put the show together. You get to be a part of it. You can respond to the email with your thoughts or join us on social media at Leland Vitter on Twitter. Twitter, This is how long it's been. Ten-day vacation. Suddenly you forget. It's on Instagram or Twitter. Warnotes.com and subscribe for free. Coming up next, Jeffrey Epstein pled guilty to child prostitution, yet the rich and famous hung out with him. People like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. Next, the roughly 200 people who lost their fight to keep their names. Private Epstein's former lawyer, Alan Dershowitz, is standing by. We'll see you in a minute. In the next few days, maybe the next few hours, a court will unseal the identity of around 200 of Jeffrey Epstein's associates. It will add to the list of the rich and famous who cavorted with the child predator after his conviction for child prostitution. We know some on the list, but it's worth reminding everybody. People who spent time with Epstein after the guilty plea. Prince Andrew, Katie Kirk, George Stephanopoulos, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. He popped up on Harvard University's website lauding his accomplishments. Peggy Stiegel, a gatekeeper for A-list events, included in movie screenings. Dr. Ava Anderson, uh, Dubinia, champion of women's health, maintained a friendship. Charlie Rose was also on the list. Epstein's former lawyer, Alan Dershowitz, is with us now. Good to see you, sir. Thank you. You've pushed for a long time uh, for all the names to come out. This would be the question. Um, how, how much are we to believe is guilt by association versus judging people by the company they kept, and that being someone after uh, the late 2000s who had pleaded guilty to child prostitution? Well, you can judge them for having shown bad judgment, but you can't conclude that any accusations against them are, are true without uh, hearing the evidence. The reason I wanted everything put out, and I don't think the judge put everything out. I think she was selective in what she put out, and that's unfair. I want everything out, every document, every piece of paper, half-truths or lies. And um, I wanted them out for personal reasons because I know that they would prove what I've said from day one, that I did nothing wrong. The woman who uh, accused me later admitted that she may have misidentified me, confused me with someone else. So I wanted everything out right from the beginning because I have nothing to hide. Uh, There are some people who may be ashamed of the fact that they hung out with Epstein. But remember, a lot of people hung out with Epstein before he was convicted, presidents of Harvard, uh, deans, uh, uh, Nobel uh, uh, quality scientists. He was very well thought of in the beginning. None of us knew uh, about his private life that he kept so secret. There's a difference between what happened after he was convicted and the nature of the relationship after he was convicted. And everybody should judge for themselves. But I think the public has the right to hear and see everything, not selectively picked by a judge or anyone else. So that would, I guess, be the question. You say that there's selective picking, and for that matter, it's been under seal until now. The guy's dead. Um, He clearly was involved in some really despicable behavior. No one really knows why people gave him uh, lots of money to manage, despite the fact that his record as a money manager was uh, mediocre at best, leads you to believe that perhaps they were trying to give him money for other reasons. People can draw their own conclusions. 
What are the forces to keep these names secret? What are you going to be looking for about who is still able to keep things under wraps? Well, I can understand why people would not want family members, wives, you know, any association with Jeffrey Epstein is uh, very, very negative. Um, Anybody who knew Epstein, whether you knew him before or after, people say, oh, my God, you knew Epstein. You must have done something wrong. That doesn't necessarily follow. There are some people who may have done something wrong, but nobody should be believed. I mean, I think, you know, of the Me Too movement now. Me Too basically says, believe anybody except if they're a Jew and an Israeli. The stories about the rapes that have been documented uh, in Israel the Me Too movement, no, 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 we're not interested in that. A feminist, we're not interested in that. If it was a Jew who was raped, forget about it. Anybody else? So, you know, there's a lot of picking and choosing by radical feminists about who they're going to believe. It's, it's shocking that so many feminists have refused to condemn Hamas for yeah. raping and cutting off the breasts. I mean, you know, all of this makes Jeffrey Epstein, by comparison, my God, there's so much hypocrisy uh, on the hard left among feminists. And maybe this will help expose that as well. Yeah. Uh, look, it, it, it's a great point uh, of people who uh, have, have that huge double standard and those who are so aghast at Jeffrey Epstein and those around him. Um, I know that you, you wrote a lot about this uh, war against the Jews, how to end yep. Hamas uh, barbarism. It's an important book. It's a topic I know you know we've covered a lot uh, on the program. We want to have you, have you back yep. uh, to, chat, to chat about it. It's good to see you, sir. Thank you. Happy New Year. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Happy yes, sir. Tonight on, tonight on Cuomo, Ghislaine Maxwell's attorney joins guest host Brian Enton live in studio to react to the Epstein documents. That's at 8 p.m. Eastern. Next, Harvard's president plagiarized her work, Professor Carol Swain, on whether equality of opportunity will replace equity at some of America's elite institutions. The president has always, always put uh, equity at the center of every policy he's put forward. These plagiarism allegations uh, where Claudine Gay has had to issue corrections, um, multiple corrections. Now, we should note that um, Claudine Gay has not been accused of stealing anyone's ideas in any of her writings. Uh, she's been accused of sort of a, more like uh, copying uh, other people's writings without attribution. So it's been more sloppy ap- attribution than stealing anyone's ideas. Hmm. CNN's coverage of Claudine Gay's resignation, the facts notwithstanding, Gay, CNN, and the Harvard board seem to agree. She is the victim of racism. Never mind that today we learned about six new plagiarism allegations against her. That adds to the 50 or so documented cases of academic dishonesty. The board statement, the Harvard board statement, expressed sadness at Gay's resignation. That board is led by Obama cabinet secretary and heir to the Hyatt Hotel chain, Penny Pritzker. Dr. Carol Swain is with us now, author of Black Faces, Black Interests, the representation of African Americans in Congress that Claudine Gay plagiarized from. Uh, so the standard is if you attacked Claudine Gay, uh, you were racist, Professor. And you've been on the program. We've been outspoken about this. You've attacked her. You've, you've said that she stole your work and, and committed plagiarism. Are they, you think they're calling you a racist as well? No, they're totally ignoring me. And Black Faces, Black Interests won uh, three national prizes, was cited by the U.S. Supreme Court, 
and it had a major impact. It was the seminal book on black congressional representation during the 1990s. And my contention is that in addition to the two places where she barred from my work verbatim, that her whole research agenda was an effort to counter what I was saying in Black Faces, Black Interests, but she doesn't uh, give me proper attribution at places where I should have been cited. So not only was there some verbatim theft, she would not have had a dissertation had it not been for Black Faces, Black Interests, Hmm. because that was clearly her motivation. And as far as Claudine Gay and the Harvard board, it's almost like, don't get me started. I was so (laughs) appalled by her statement and by the fact that Harvard is trying to sweep this whole plagiarism issue under the rug. And I'm so upset with former colleagues and people I used to respect who say, oh, no problem, plagiarism is okay. I wonder what they're going to do the next time they're in the classroom. Are they going to tell their students that it's okay for them? Or is it just okay for black women from privileged backgrounds? And I can tell you that when I got my education and throughout my career, I understood what plagiarism was. And like most people, we live in terror of, of not plagiarizing. We try very hard to make sure we follow the rules. And so here's this person who's had a world-class education, and they make excuses for her, and she blames racism. I am the only person that I see, well, maybe not the only person, but maybe I'm the only black person of high visibility that is saying that it's plagiarism. She needs to be held to the same standard as everyone is. But my concern is it's bigger than me. It's bigger than Harvard. It's about American education because if Harvard University. For, professor, I hate, I hate to interrupt you. I just I just want to get just to sort of the next step here uh, okay, of what's about to happen, which is the Harvard board. I, I look, I understand your emotion. I'd, I'd be feeling the same way. The Harvard board is going to pick somebody new, Penny Pritzker, who's on on the head of it. Um, they picked Claudine Gay, obviously, because of DEI. She won the diversity um, Olympics. Um, we, we've heard over and over this, this you know, the, the turn of the phrase. It's about it's about uh, equity of outcome, not equality of opportunity. I'm wondering if you see any sign um, that Harvard's going to to pick sort of the best person for the job and has learned from this. Or if anything, no. it's sort of hardened their resolve. They uh, haven't done anything. She gets a soft landing. She keeps her faculty position, even though her dissertation was plagiarized, which calls into question if she really is a doctor. Uh, her research re- record would not normally earn her tenure at a tier one university, much less an Ivy League university. And hmm. so they have done nothing. And they will look for another DEI person to stick in that slot. If they want to redeem Harvard University, they need to find the best qualified candidate, even if it is a middle-aged white man. Uh, look, look I, I, I have so many thoughts. You think about what it would be like to be her student coming up, um, how she can hold anybody to account. I think about the Harvard board. I think about commentators who say they need to hire a black woman. I'm 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 sure you're waiting for your phone to ring from the Harvard board. Um, I, I don't. But, uh, I would not want anything from that dysfunctional place. They need to get yep. their act together. They are not a world class university. They're hmm. taking us all down. There, it's a race to the bottom with Harvard leading. All right. 
Uh, I can't I can't add much more to that. Ma'am, it's good to see you. Thank you very much. Coming up next, amnesty, uh, the new proposal to deal with the crisis at the southern border and why it's just encouraging more people to come. We do need real substantive immigration reform and policies that allow us um, to have a structure and a pathway mm-hmm. um, to citizenship. Nothing about border security, but remember that phrase, pathway to citizenship. Another term might be amnesty. Chicago's ultra-progressive mayor, Brandon Johnson, just let the plan slip. He, of course, admits his sanctuary city is overrun with illegal immigrants. Our Ali Bradley reported that in December, 300,000 people came across the southern border. That's a new record. And there's a lot of new records. 2.54 million in 2023, 2.57 million in 2022, 2 million in 2021. By 2025, in the end of President Biden's first term, we could easily see 10 million people have come across our southern border. That's the population of the state of Michigan. With us now, Bacha Unger Sargon, opinion editor for Newsweek. Lots of talked about securing the southern border, not a lot about the people who are already here. Some of them have court dates for asylum in 2031. You think that's where we're headed to, to some kind of push for amnesty? Um, thank you so much for having me on the Ferris show on television, Leland. It's great to be here to start off the new year. Um, you know, they definitely seem to think that it is a bigger priority to turn all of the people who came here illegally into American citizens than it is to make sure that more people don't come, which of course sends the message to millions and millions more people that if they just can get through that border, which is effectively open right now, they can become Americans. Leland, this is class warfare by the elites against the working class. All of those people are competing with working class people for jobs. And it tells you so much about who the Democrats now see as their base and who they're fighting against. Yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to have you on, because I'm not really sure if this is as much a red blue issue as it is a class issue. Um, Because if you've got a cushy corporate job, uh, people coming across the border don't really have an effect on you in the same way it does for for working class Americans, and I'm wondering, is, is you've talked talk to folks, why, why do you think that that is so lost on the Democratic Party? Because it's not just that they don't suffer from mass migration, they actually benefit from it in very real economic terms because they are the consumers of low-wage labor. And so they are the people hiring these people. So, of course, they want more and more because it's literally putting money back in their pocketbooks, whereas if they had to hire Americans to do those jobs... They'd have to pay much more. And the proof of this, you cannot look for better proof than Las Vegas, where the casinos are so tightly regulated, they cannot hire illegal migrants. And so let me tell you something, Leland. The average pay for a hotel cleaner in Las Vegas is $22 an hour, which is a very respectable wage, because this is class warfare against the working class. Yeah, you can imagine Jeff Bezos would love nothing more than a bunch of uh, uh, folks to be able to hire for low wages for Work at Amazon. Hey, Bacha, always good to see you. Happy New Year. We got to run. We'll talk to you a lot this year. Big book coming out in April for Bacha. Brian Entens in for Cuomo. I'll see you tomorrow. Everybody, welcome to 2024. I'm Brian Enton sitting in for Chris Cuomo tonight. We are live and we have a packed show. 
It was a stressful New Year's for nearly 200 of Jeffrey Epstein's friends and associates because at, at any moment, and literally it could happen at any moment during the show, the sealed court documents are revealing their names could be released. This weekend, uh, we heard former President Bill Clinton will be on that list. It could also include other prominent names like Donald Trump, Bill Gates, Prince Andrew. The list goes on and on. And tonight we will speak to someone who may be on that list himself. Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz. Does he want this list revealed? And why might his name